Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, usually the writer in our duo, the writer of over three dozen cookbooks. But in this episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark, I'm going to be directing the cooking. We're going to make something mm. wild on mm-hmm. this podcast, something that you probably don't even think that you should or even could make, but we're going to do it. we got a one-minute cooking tip, and we're going to tell you what's making us happy in food this week, all while also reminding you of our latest cookbook, The Look and Cook Air Fryer Bible. Wherever books are sold, you can find it, or in the podcast notes to this episode, you can find a link to buy that book. That would be terrific. We would appreciate your support. So let's get to it. What's our one-minute cooking tip? The next time you want to make hard-boiled eggs, put a trivet or a rack in the bottom of your pot when you boil the water. That way, when you put the eggs in, they're not sitting on the bottom of the pot. And why is that important? Because... If they touch the bottom of the pot, they get superheated, and they don't cook evenly, and they cook too fast, and you end up with overcooked hard-boiled eggs, which is not really what you're looking for. that's the green tinge to it. So put it in there. Listen, the writer is being really specific here because it's got to be a heat-safe rack. In other words, if your metal rack has little rubber feet on it, you can't put it in the pot. It has to be fully metal. And if it's a Tiffany crystal trivet. Oh, well, yeah. Don't put your grandmother's (laughs) Tiffany crystal trivet in the model. Okay, you know what? Our listeners are not idiots, so um, (laughs) let's say don't do that, but um, I'm sure you already know don't do that. All right, that's our one-minute cooking tip about how to get better eggs out of a pot. This works for uh, soft-boiled eggs, jammy ramen eggs, and hard-cooked eggs. But up next, I am directing us in the making of, get this, Worcestershire sauce. Did you know you could make Worcestershire sauce from scratch? Well, we're going to do it. Whenever we give people a taste of this Worcestershire sauce that Mark makes, they are undone. And this goes from friends of ours who are not foodies to friends of ours who are foodies to friends of ours who are restaurant owners. And they are undone by this homemade Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, in fact, we knew a chef of a rather fancy restaurant in New England. And I would bring him this Worcestershire sauce. Now, he can't use it in the kitchen and in the restaurant because, of course, it's not food safe. I mean, our our, um, kitchen here is not, you know, uh, what do I want to say? We don't have the state certificate to create food for consumer use in our personal kitchen at home. But I would bring it to him, and he would use it in staff meals like crazy. Mm -hmm. He would just practically drink it down. (laughs) It was insane. And, in fact, I even got him making his own Worcestershire sauce using this recipe. So I'm going to direct Bruce on what to do. Okay, what do I – first of all, you have taken out the biggest pot we have. It's a giant This is a 16-quart stock pot. You can cut everything in half that we're doing if you don't want to make this much and use a smaller pot. You know, a standard pot, you might boil pasta in, but we are using this giant one. So Yes, because what's going to happen is it's going to, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to roil up at a certain point. Mm. And so we want a lot of pot to catch the roiling. Use a big Dutch oven. Use the biggest thing you have to get on the stove. So I'm going to be putting things in this pot as Mark tells me to. Okay, so, so let's start. What's the first thing I'm pouring and in so here? What I'm going to tell you is I'm going to tell you this both in terms of the metrics and in terms of the U.S. 
volume measurements. That way, you, wherever you're listening to this, you can do this. So we're okay. going to start with four cups or 915 milliliters of malt vinegar. Mm, I love splashing in my vinegar. Uh, and you know malt vinegar is the stuff that you put on fish and chips. You mm-hmm. can find it in any supermarket labeled malt vinegar. Four cups of it. And then four cups or 950 milliliters of distilled white vinegar. Oh, good, because malt vinegar was kind of expensive, so it's nice to have another vinegar that's not as expensive. And we're not talking white wine vinegar. No, don't no. don't use anything fancy white balsamic. We're talking the you know the old cleaning product, yeah. distilled white vinegar. Then two cups or 475 milliliters of soy sauce. Okay, soy sauce is one of those things in this house that often causes you know a little friction. Mark loves. Cheapo, 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 middle America Chinese restaurant you know soy what? sauce. You know what? You could take the boy out of suburbia, <laughs> but you can't take suburbia out and of the boy. I like, I mean, I don't use super high end soy sauce, but I do like, you know, Pearl River Bridge, oh, which is typical Chinese mm, restaurant mm, soy. Mm, Kiko Man, Kiko Man. <laughs> in this recipe, use a high end if you could find it. Don't use La Choy unless that's all you could find <laughs> in your store, but try and find like Pearl River Bridge or something like that. For me, Kikoman is up. La Choy is more <laughs> my taste. I'm telling you, you can take the boy out of suburbia, but you can't take suburbia out of the boy, even though he makes Worcestershire from scratch. Okay, then we're going to add a cup or 250 grams of tamarind concentrate, not tamarind paste. Now, what's the difference? Well, tamarind paste is just a, like a puree. It's basically the tamarind that comes in a block. It looks like if you buy tamarind that's like in its almost raw state, it comes in like pods. Then you could buy it with the inside scraped out and it's full of seeds. Or you could buy it as a paste where the seeds are removed. Mm. Or you could buy it as a concentrate where it's been cooked down and it's super thick it's almost like tar and that's what we're using and i love the brand tamacon if you can find it that's often in, available in a lot of indian markets so that's a good one to use and we also found this i know at uh, an arabic market yep. so you can find it there or you can find it online and let me say before we get on to the next thing that this recipe is in the show notes so you don't have to be writing this down you can just take our word for it and then <laughs> Go from there. Okay, so then we want two cups or 650 grams of molasses. Now, I like to up the game here. And what I actually have in front of us is black treacle. That does up. Molasses is a byproduct of sugar processing. And the way you make white sugar is to basically remove the molasses from the raw sugar product. And the way they make brown sugar is they add some of the molasses back in. Black treacle is a different product. It is flavored a little like molasses. It's much, much thicker. It has a bitter edge. If you can find it in a British market or in the ethnic, believe it or not, part of your supermarket, which is where it is where we live in New England. Uh, uh, uh. (laughs) But otherwise... Any good unsulfured molasses will do. Yeah, and listen, most of the time when I make Worcestershire, I just make it with regular old molasses. Then we've got two-thirds of a cup of kosher salt. Do not use table salt. Why? Because kosher salt has larger grains, and if you use table salt, your Worcestershire sauce will get too salty mm. because you'll get more salt in there. So two-thirds of a cup of kosher salt. Okay. Then one cup or 160 grams, this will kill you of brown and yellow mustard seeds. <laughs> wow. Where do you find 
you know, besides $5,000 a bottle mustard seeds? Unfortunately, if you go to buy them in the spice rack in your supermarket, they will be expensive like that. So try and find the spice store, even something like Penzi's. They're very high-end. Your best bet at getting really inexpensive is in an Indian market. So if there is any East Indian market near where you are, or if you can find one online, you will get pounds of mustard seeds for the same price that you would get like an ounce in the supermarket. And now we're not near done. And now we're just going to start adding spices. Okay. So two tablespoons or 12 grams of whole cloves, two tablespoons or 10 grams of coriander seeds. Got that. A tablespoon or eight grams of black peppercorns. Okay. A tablespoon or eight to ten grams of white peppercorns. Interestingly, these white white peppercorns, if you don't know, are basically just black peppercorns with the uh, hole yeah. removed. Yep, yeah, exactly. They have a very musky flavor, yeah. which adds to the depth of the Worcestershire. A tablespoon or eight grams of ground dried turmeric. Mm, love this stuff. Now, we've already got this done and chopped up, but here's something you have to do in advance. I have four medium white or yellow onions that we have taken the rough skin off of, the papery hull skin off of, and we've roughly chopped these four onions up. So that goes in the pot, too. Be careful of splashing at this point. We've got a lot of stuff in there. Right. Okay. And then mm, this is in about about 30 dried chilies de arbol or other long dried red chilies. I advise you to stem them because the stems are slightly bitter. So I advise you to take the stems off and chop them out. If you're concerned about the heat here, you can pull out some of the seeds. So here's my tip for doing this. Use a scissor, right? These aren't very big. And if you chop them, they're going to sort of fly all over the counter. I like to use a scissor. And what I do is I cut them in half with a scissor. And then the stem part, I sort of jiggle and most jiggle and many of the seeds fall out. That way I keep some of the seeds, but not all the seeds, and I just use a scissor to cut them up. Okay, beyond that, do you get how this recipe is? It's crazy. So beyond that, 10 to 12 to 14 garlic cloves, peel them and then put them on your cutting board and smash them with the edge of a large knife or the bottom of a saucepan. Don't crush them in a garlic press. No, no, you want Just these to be big them. pieces, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so then we have about 24 green cardamom pods. And again, these have been smashed by the side of a knife mm-hmm. or underneath a pot. And make sure that you keep all the cardamom seeds intact. I can't tell you how good this already smells. All these spices. We are not near and, done. Oh, I know. So then four, three inch cinnamon sticks or we're talking about um, about seven centimeter eight centimeter cinnamon sticks two star anise pods Mm -hmm. we're still not done a two inch or five centimeter piece of fresh ginger that you peel and chop and by the way i should tell you that i often up this amount of ginger and even double it because i like a really gingery taste in the sauce and then finally at the very end here here we go we have two ounce tins of anchovy fillets we've got two of those two-ounce tins of anchovy fillets. We've pulled them out, we've chopped them up, and into the pot We've also out. drained them. I don't want the oil in this, yeah, right? So you don't want the oil. You yep. just want the anchovies. They've yep. been put in there, too. Yep. Now, that's 20 ingredients. It's insane. And we have a flame on this, right? I'm stirring this up. I'm making sure all is dissolved. I'm going to simmer this for 10 minutes, right? And this is to going to go for 10 minutes. The smell in your house is going to be amazing. And then... After 10 minutes, 
There's a 21st ingredient. Okay, we're back. And here's the 21st ingredient. Once that thing has simmered for start before it's done. So if it, after it's simmered, it just barely come to a simmer and then it's going to simmer for 10 minutes. Take two cups or 400 grams of granulated white sugar or caster sugar. And I want you to put that in preferably a nonstick skillet and then put a medium low flame over it and let it melt. Mm-hmm. You'll have to stir it occasionally as it melts. It'll eventually all melt and turn golden brown. You're burning the sugar. You're making caramel. You want that burned sugar taste. And the trick of this is really fun because how far can you take it, right? You want to take it so you have a super burned caramel flavor, but you don't want to go too far so it tastes bitter. And let me tell you a little trick about caramelizing the sugar, too. You actually want to leave it alone for a while. And I know you're going to be really tempted to stir it because, you know, you're going to look at it and say, well, nothing's happening. It looks exactly like what I put in the pan. And Don't worry. It's starting to melt on the bottom. And if you stir it too soon, you're going to end up with white lumps. You can eventually crush these Mm -hmm. down with a wooden spoon as it continues to heat but it's better to just leave it alone a bit until you start to see the brown caramel especially around the edges of it okay so the whole process of this is going to take about eight to nine minutes yeah yeah, so we'll come back when this is beautifully caramelized there'll be a little smoke coming off the top of it and then mark will tell you what we do with it So we're back, and now what we're going to do is take that caramelized sugar, and now you're going to pour it into (laughs) that bubbling cauldron of spices, and this is where it roils up. So pour slowly, carefully, slowly. But look, it's also seizing up at the bottom. Some of this is is not dissolving in, so I'm going to keep stirring this until what's seized up remelts, right? Because we want this to remelt. Basically, what you want to happen now is get it in there, and now you're going to have some that has, again, as Bruce says, caramelized or re-solidified at the bottom of the pot. Keep stirring for about five minutes and let that pot continue to boil on the stove with all that cauldron and spices in it. Can you believe what it takes to make Worcestershire sauce? I don't think anybody can believe this. It's worth it, So about five more minutes, and then let me tell you what we're going to do, because we're just going to let this go, and then we'll come back much later as a tasting. We have some actually already made. We're just making a new batch here, so we're going to come back and do a taste of it, but let me tell you what happens here. So after you've let this boil for about five minutes and made sure that caramelized sugar is completely incorporated and melted into this cauldron, then set it off the heat and let it cool down to room temperature. At that point, get yourself a giant glass jar. You can go to a big box store, someplace with a giant canning jar. About how, how big is this? This is a gallon size glass flip top canning jar. Okay, great. So once it's cooled to room temperature, we're going to pour all of this spices and all into that canning jar. Then we're going to lock the lid onto it and it's going to go in the back of the fridge for a minimum of four weeks, if not better, eight weeks. We're going to let it ripen. It's like eggnog. It has (laughs) to, we should do a podcast in which we make eggnog, in which it has to ripen. So four to eight I know this is an insane recipe. Nobody ever does 21 this. ingredients, two months. If you want to actually watch me make this, there is a YouTube video on our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, in which I make this on camera. But again, this recipe is in the show notes to this podcast. And the fun part of that video, the best part of it, is Mark's COVID hair. 
because we did that in the middle of COVID, <laughs> and he Dude. looked like he was in some some British import band from the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have really long hair? It's really embarrassing. Um, so anyway, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna let this thing cool to room temperature, get it in the jar, and get it in the fridge, and it's gonna ripen for four to eight weeks. After that, you strain it out through a strainer. And when I say strain it, what you're gonna have to do here is either use a very fine mesh strainer or you're gonna have to line a colander with cheesecloth or less preferably a double layer of paper towels and pour slowly through that into another bowl to get all of the solids out of it. Okay, let's come back and let's taste an old batch that we have in the fridge. All right, so we've actually re-decanted this. We, as I say, mm. we strained it out. Mm-hmm. Bruce then puts it into smaller uh, jelly jars yep. so that, you know, it's not quite so unwieldy as a big jar of it. I have some baguette here, and I'm just dipping some bread into it. I have poured a little into a dish, and I'm dipping bread into it. This is so sweet and spicy and savory and salty so and yummy. It's, it's like so candy and a condiment. And So I'm putting a little in my palm, just a drop or two in my palm, and now I'm going to let my palm warm it up. It, you have to store this in the fridge, of course, even after you strain it, mm-hmm. but because you're not bottling this. It's not shelf-stable like the stuff you buy in the supermarket, so you got to keep it in the fridge. And now I'm going to just taste it off my palm like you do olive oil and... Wash your hands first because you're going to be licking your palm. Mm, I've already done it. Um, so <laughs> it's – I'm perfectly clean. It's delicious. It's It's got this incredible savoriness with that word I hate so much if you listen to our <laughs> podcast, which I hate so umami. much. Shut up. With the uh, – Shut up with the soy sauce <laughs> and the anchovies. I hate that word. Um, it's got all of that going on. What do you do with this? My favorite thing besides just dipping bread into it like I would do aged balsamic. I like drizzling on Parmesan cheese like I do balsamic. Yep. I also like mixing it into ground beef for hamburgers. It makes a delicious You also marinate that. steaks I in it. I marinate hanger steaks and skirt steaks in it with a little olive oil. It is just like And also, we can make right a here. dumpling dip out of this. No, equal parts this and rice vinegar. Oh, my goodness. Right. Yum. So you just take equal parts of your homemade Worcestershire sauce and rice vinegar. It's a great dip. It will improve even frozen dumplings beyond anything you can imagine. I know this is the most insane recipe you've worth ever it. heard it's on a podcast it. is it. to make your do own it, sauce. It, it, and it. you're going to make a ton of it so get yourself uh, some of those little jelly jars with lids divide it up once you've strained it into those and then give it away as Christmas gifts give it away mm-hmm. as holiday gifts give it away as Hanukkah gifts give it away mm-hmm. in any way that you want to friends when you come over for a dinner party and I know they're going to say what in the world you're bringing you Worcestershire <laughs> sauce but honestly they won't believe what it is that they taste so mm. that's our recipe in this episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark again I've said it a million times. I'm going to say it again. Right in the show notes to this episode, you'll find this recipe written out for you. No problems in terms of taking it down. You'll find it there. And we really hope that you'll make it and you'll share the results with us in the Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Okay, let's get to the final segment of 
this episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark, what's making us happy in food this week? Toasted coconut-covered marshmallows. Oh, God. I was at our local farm children, stand. Children. It's one of, it was my childhood. I was at our local. Well, the funny thing is when I was a kid, the only time we ever had that was at my grandmother's house, and they were kosher, and she would only get them like around the holidays. Ooh, the they must holidays. make co-gel. It was like probably fish bone gelatin. <laughs> but our yeah. local farm stand that we go to, oh, you know, they have all the impulse buys. You're checking out of chocolate-covered Oreos. But last week they had little bags of toasted coconut-covered marshmallows. And I'm not one to resist toasted coconut-covered marshmallows. No, and um, <laughs> so you're not that... one, apparently, to worry about your A1C. But okay, well, good. I am, but I only <laughs> ate one of the marshmallows. <laughs> That's really great. Yeah, I'm going to go in a completely different direction and say that what's really made me happy in food this week is something that we've started doing constantly. And you may know this from previous episodes of our podcast, but I've kind of decided to be uh, mostly a vegetarian except for one meal a day. So I won't eat meat more than one meal a day, which means if I have bacon for breakfast, then I'm a vegetarian for the rest of the day. Usually what that means is I have a piece of chicken or something at dinner. Anyway, the whole point of this is at lunch, I don't really usually eat any meat. And we have been having a ton of chopped salads, and I just love chopped salads. And if you're not sure what a chopped salad is, the way I make it is I chop up little grape tomatoes, I mm. chop up cucumber, mm. I chop up bell peppers, sometimes I add celery. Notice it, there's no lettuce here. It is good olive oil, cheap red wine vinegar, salt, pepper, and dried oregano. And I put a little hummus on my plate mm. and put the chopped salad on top of the hummus. And if I get really crazy, I might crumble a little feta on it, but I usually don't have feta, so I usually don't crumble on top of it. I eat it with those wasa crackers, those rye wasa crackers. Oh, and also the wasa gluten-free crackers. Oh, oh I just love it. It's like an unbelievably delicious lunch. So that's our podcast for this week in the fourth season of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Thanks for being with us. If you could subscribe, rate, talk about this podcast <laughs> talking up amongst your friends and neighbors um <laughs> please we're not, a, we're not kidding be a little nicer to principal skinner if you know what i mean uh, another simpsons reference um so if you could do all of that that would be fantastic we would highly appreciate that because this work is otherwise unsupported and we like it that way and please go to our facebook group cooking with bruce and mark i post videos i post recipes we have great conversations about food we'll see you there and we'll see you back here for another episode in the fourth season of cooking with bruce and mark